Wonderful. Good morning. Hey, I have, a, I have a message for you. You might be aware of, but you have to remind yourself. You're here. Good job. You're alive. So we, have, we all have that in common today. And with the gift of being alive, we're going to grow in the living, all right? In the land of the living here, we have a gift today to be warm together, to be warmed by God's word. Uh, it is a special weekend. Uh, in the week ahead, is is very special commemoration in so many ways. In actually two ways, there's there's a, a commemoration of a painful triumph and another painful tragedy. On Monday or tomorrow, we celebrate uh, MLK Day. It's the 87th year since the Doctor Reverend was born in 1929. Very special day. There's you go on and on for reasons for us to celebrate and how. And then on Friday we. It's the anniversary of another painful calamity on our calendar, the 43rd anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the woeful decision brought down by the, the Supreme Court. And now listen, in light of both of these marks on our calendar, I've been seeking the Lord, seeking his word, and I believe I have a fresh word for all of us. Are we ready? Can we do this together? Can we be warmed by the word of God, transformed, changed, used by him to do and to see things from his kingdom? Thank you. All right, here we go. Title of my message I want to share today is Pure and Undefiled. Pure and Undefiled. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. We're going to be in James 1 today. We're going to allow Brother James to speak to us difficult wonderful things inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. Now, Brother James here, as you know, if you've read this book, great book, he's a straight shooter. He has punched me in the gut so many times the last 18 years of knowing Jesus. And I need it today as much as ever. So we're going to be in verses 22 through 27 of of James chapter 1. But I want to read verse 21 first. I think it's perfect for our hearts. Verse 21 says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Now today we're going to, we're going to be brave enough to together consider God's word, consider its implications and to be brave together. But we can't enter in just, you know, kind of with a posture of heart. Okay, what does this guy on the stage have to say? What's his opinions? What's my opinions? Let's mix it all together. No, let's receive with meekness, me too and you, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But be doers of the word. And not... Hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, He will be blessed in his doing. 
If anyone thinks he is righteous and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as you pray with me. Lord, you say in your word here to, 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 be, to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and to keep yourself unstained from the world. But Lord, that's not necessarily the story of any of us in here. The fact is, Lord, none of us can just be doers of purity in and of ourselves. The only hope for any of us is not to be pure, but to first be purified by you. We have stains. We all have defilements. Lord, I look back in my story, even when I was trying to be religious, all I could do was filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's all I knew. I tried better. And I didn't do your word. I did everything but your word. And yet, Jesus, it's what you did. That I could not only do your word, but even foundational to that, hear your word. And it's because of your power that I can hear and then do. Lord, I pray that you would bless hearing and that you would enable doing in ways that are not simply me trying my best, but Lord, that we would see and savor once again, or maybe for some of us for the first time, that when we are stained, when we are defined and, and uh, held down by our own sin, by uh, barriers in our thinking and our families and our culture, right there, Jesus, you meet us and you want to transform us and for the cause of our lives and the projection to others who are dead and dying, you want to see your life transform our lives and culture. And I'm asking that you would enable that today, enable hearing and enable mighty doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I don't know how many times I've read James 1, but y'all, it never ceases to hit hard. And today, I'm going to dare, and I hope you'll dare with me, to meditate on this sharp admonition to the church from Brother James, and even its implications in our lives, in our schedules, and in, uh, in our allegiances that need to subordinate themselves to the Word of God. I hope you'll dare to journey with me in that because I want to meditate on this fresh word from James and apply them to the ongoing struggle in our day of civil rights and specifically the right to life that a precious many are violently denied. And yet more than just lamenting the evils of our day, and whining and complaining and being a voice of hearers that don't do, 
I want to lift up the banner for the glorious church. We, the church of the living Christ, are every bit as powerful as he intended us to be if we would receive with meekness of heart the implanted word of God. He has the same power to move in us as much as he ever has. And his design, his plan, that will surely not be broken, is to do so from here on out. And my prayer is that every single one of us would be united, not simply by our affiliations, our comforts, what we've grown up with, our biological families, but that you would, we'd be united by a deeper blood, that the blood of the living Christ would unite us together for something that's way bigger deal than what we're comfortable with. Pure and undefiled. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And look, knowing how difficult certain things are to talk about, I desperately don't want to denigrate our gospel message of a world dying and gone and Jesus coming to save the world and bring hope to people by dying the death that we should have died after having lived the life that no one else could have lived. And when none of us were doers of the word, he did it on our behalf. And it was the sacrifice that we should have been. And he rose again from the dead to bring us life. And yet that comes with a grave responsibility for the cause of life. For the cause of the rights of people who are denied life. Who are dehumanized in every generation. I desperately don't want to denigrate that message. I don't want to reduce the argument or the conversation to something merely political. And nonetheless, I, I, I don't want to offend for the sake of offense, and I don't want us to be deceived. I want us to be doers of the word. And I have a dream before I die that we would all be partakers in a cause of life that Jesus has never stopped giving to a precious few. That we would be pure as a church and undefiled. Now, if you listen to these words, even just the hearing, it says if you're, if you're hearing but not doing, you're deceived. But listen, even if you're just hearing, you should be uncomfortable. Like if you're not at all uncomfortable when you read this word, these scriptures at the end of chapter one, if you're not uncomfortable, I'm afraid you're not even hearing any less hearing and doing. So can we all just, can we all just like put ourselves at ease and look around the room and be like, hey, we're all in this together. We're all in need of God purifying us. All of us together. That's what we all have in common. Maybe we have our differences, but you know what? We're impure in needing of his purity. We're defiled in needing of him to purify us in that. And yet together with the blood of Jesus, we can have lives that are unwasted and a unified message that's not denigrated by anything lesser. So let's be together in that. 
Now, if James's words aren't uncomfortable enough and convicting enough, listen to another saint from the church's past that speaks even, uh, in some ways, even more sharply to us. You ready for this? This isn't punishment. This is healing, all right? Receive this. This is from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in a letter from Birmingham Jail. He says, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer recording the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for today. Now, if this painfully prophetic warning was appropriate in the 1950s and 60s, how much more today, church? We don't want to be irrelevant. We don't want to be merely a social club. We don't want to be thermometers that that says, okay, well, what, what makes everyone happy already And let's kind of try to paint our message like that. And we don't want to just make people feel uncomfortable for the sake of comfort, nor do we want to make people feel, uh, we don't want to make people feel comfortable for the sake of comfort or the opposite. We don't want to just make people feel uncomfortable to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We want to bring warmth where there's coldness to the word of God. There's nothing like the scripture that can do this and nothing like God's word that demands it in today's culture. Dr. King bemoans this danger really similar to the apostle James. Are we going to be hearers and not doers? Are we going to be brave or are we just going to be safe? Remember James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer, of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. I want to stop and say before we get to what we need to do and the battle that's waging today and how we need to bravely fight, let me first consider the gift of being able to do so in the first place. Because when it says be doers of the word, let's be very clear that you don't do anything for God to become a Christian. Doing is a responsibility when he has done everything for you, when you were dead and you couldn't do anything. You don't do anything to become a Christian any more than you do anything to become a person. That was kind of something that your father and mother did for you, right? I mean, none of us can boast of the whole coming into existence thing. That happened into our li- in our lives. None of us can be like, man, I worked hard, but eventually I was conceived. <laughs> and even that, even from the, the part of your journey, fast forward a little bit. You were alive when you were conceived. It's controversial, but clear in scripture. 
and science slowly is catching up with scripture little by little. You were a person when you were conceived and even a little bit forward. You can't even take credit for when you were born. No one can be like, man, I persevered. It was a little hard around the pelvic bone, but I just kept going. And I, you know, I just, I just remembered what's really, what, what the goal is. And I finally came out to freedom. No, no one can say that. It was pretty much all your mom's pain. And even several years after that, I have lots of toddlers. In fact, I, I've been fighting for this, but I really think on your birthday, your mom should get the gift. That's a, that's a different message entirely. You don't do things for God to come into existence. The point is, our existence is not something we earn. Our existence is a gift. And the point is, will we be good stewards of the gift that we've been given of existing in order to, to justify the gratefulness that we can, we can have in the, in the, in the living what do you do with the gift, the, the gift of life that you've been given? What do you do with the fact that Jesus, when you were dead in your sin, spiritually dead, he came and made you alive. And all of a sudden you were alive. What do you do with that? Can you, can you stop and consider, oh my goodness, I'm alive. What do I do with that? That's what James is saying here. We can't take credit for coming into existence any more than we can take credit for coming into the faith. But our existence and what we do with it is what we're judged for. To borrow from James' analogy, you don't look in the mirror and going away and forget what you, what you look like. There's many times in life where we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and stop and say, wow, God, you made me. Don't let me forget why this is. You look in the mirror and say, I am not who I once was. I'm alive. So what do I do with that? Be doers of the word and not merely hearers only deceiving yourselves. Look at yourself and say, God, I've been given a great gift. Help me to use it by your grace. Don't let me be deceived. As a church, I want us to fight, to be brave, bold, grateful, dangerous to the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want us to be powerful. Just like Dr. King said, there was a time when the church was powerful. I pray that that time is still remaining imminently with us. And yet, I, like you, struggle with being brave too. I mean, here I am. I'm talking about civil rights and the right to life. And I'm nervous saying things just like you're nervous hearing things. I, I struggle with the fear of man. You know, like, what are these people going to think about me? What if everyone leaves? Everyone stops coming and, you know, those things come upon my mind. But there are greater thoughts that come upon my mind. 
Like be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Am I here just to, to fear what other people think or to be careful? Now, on the other hand, I do care what you think. I, I want to care about you. I want to care about your feelings. And I want God's word to influence you. And I don't want to get in the way of that. Verse 26 says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Well, I consider myself a religious man, and I don't want my religion to be worthless. God, help me to share your word in a way that influences people for your kingdom and makes much of Jesus. Now, in terms of abortion, in terms of civil rights, in all the issues of our day, I'll say right there, right now, that there are a lot of people who are prone to, to making problems because they're addicted to problems. That making problems where there's no problems. And it's crazy now. Everyone's got their own Facebook account, so you know, they're somehow sociological experts. There's people who make problems. And do I just want to, to, to bemoan any social problem and just let's attach ourselves to that because we're, our church is about this social issue or that social issue? No. But I believe that for us to be pure and undefiled, that we have a responsibility if indeed we have been liberated by God from our sin and we, are, we have life and we're not dead anymore, it comes with a responsibility to speak and to do. And you know what? To do it together. I love what this says. Anyone who looks into intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, he perseveres. The point of the gospel is that we are freed to not be who we were. We're freed to stand for life. Even when it's uncomfortable. Now listen, there are many causes for life today. I pray that if you are angry to rage about police brutality, you would be angry with the righteousness of God from now going forward. I, I pray that if you're here and if you're, you're not even really emotional at all about police brutality, that I would say to you, brother, uh, your lack of emotion doesn't come from the righteousness of God or the peace of God as much as oblivion. So I pray that you would also be righteous and angry. But that together, there's many uh, aspects of life that we can focus in on. But James here says, visit, visit pure and undefiled religion, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And I really want to go to the cause of the unborn and the vulnerable mothers who need the church to be the church today. And you might ask me, okay, why that decision? There's another warrior who has fought the civil rights battle of her uncle, Martin Luther King Jr., and has fought for the, the rights of the unborn and has basically said this is today's extension of civil rights. Martin Luther King Sr. was an unabashed powerful 
man of God. And his son, A.D. King, the, the father of Alveda King, we have a picture of her. She has some very powerful things to say. Her dad and her granddad, Martin Luther King Jr.'s father, they were consistent, powerful beacons of light and life on this issue. Listen to some of the things that Alveda, Dr. Alveda C. King says. She's the founder of King for America. She says, We have been fueled by the fire of, quote, women's rights. So long that we have become deaf to the outcry of the real victims whose rights are being trampled on. The babies and the mothers. What about the rights of each baby who is artificially breached before coming to term? In his or her mother's womb, only to have her skull punctured and feel, yes, agonizingly feel the life run out of her before she takes her first breath of freedom. What about the rights of these women who have been called to pioneer the new frontiers of the new millennium only to have their lives snuffed out before the calendar even turns? Oh God, what would Martin Luther King Jr., who dreamed of having his children judged by the content of their characters, do if he lived to see the contents of thousands of children's skulls emptied into the bottomless pits of the caverns of the abortionists' pits? It's time for America, perhaps the most blessed nation on earth, to lead the world in repentance and in restoration of life. Abortion is at the forefront of our destruction. Partial birth abortion is perhaps the most heinous form of legal genocide. The only healing and redemption is the blood of Jesus. Blood willingly shed so that we could stand today and cry out for the blood of the unborn that is drenching the land of our children. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we cannot live as long as we are willing to sacrifice the lives of our children for comfort and safety. How can the dream survive if we murder the children? Every aborted baby is like a slave in the womb of his or her mother If the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. is to live, our babies must live. Our mothers must choose life. If we refuse to answer the cry of mercy from the unborn and ignore the suffering of the mothers, that's another important thing we'll cover in a second, then we are signing our own death warrants. I too, like Martin Luther King Jr., have a dream. I have a dream that the men and women, the boys and girls of America will come to our senses and humble ourselves before God Almighty and pray for mercy and receive his healing and grace. I pray that this day, the hour of our deliverance, may God have mercy on us all. Now, why should we fight for the lives of the unborn? I would say for the same reason that we fight for the dehumanized of any other generation past. It's the same fight. It's the same fight. And sadly, most, most churches in decades past did not stand for civil rights. They didn't take the risk. And listen, that didn't stop God, hasn't stopped God from doing what he's still doing. One may ask, you know, what are you aiming at? Do you want, 
Are you wanting women to legally be forced to have, have babies? Is this not a hard issue? Let's be careful and thoughtful here. You know, far be it for me to have an unbridled tongue here, right? Now let's establish first, though. Are the babies inside the womb actual people with actual bodies? Or are they just lumps of flesh belonging to their mother's bodies? Now, if we can answer that question... And that's the issue. Our goal is to answer that question, and then we can consider the implications on what we do to pray for the government and for the legalities of everything involved here. Now listen, the Bible is consistent. When I was in my mother's womb, you knit me together. Point is, before I was born, I was me, and so were you. The thing that we all have in common, someone who considers himself pro-choice, pro-life, the thing that we all have in common is is that we've been given life. We've made it to this side to be able to speak about our opinion about things. The Bible is very clear. The point is is if, if you can minimize the personhood of someone, you can do things to them that are inhumane. That's the point of arguing, is this a human, a person, or not? I mean, consider this. 1857, March 6th, the Supreme Court in Dred Scott versus Stanford ruled that no act of Congress or territorial legislature could make the laws banning slavery. The fundamental argument was that slaves are not free and equal persons. They're the property of their masters. You see the wickedness that can be perpetrated when you simply make a small dehumanization of a person, that's a precious person. The outcry over the coming years following that was, no, they're humans, they're persons, they're people. They have a voice. Now this righteous disdain from just a few people, just a few abolitionists, was seen as uncomfortable It was deemed very political. It was harmful to the economy, some people said, and it was. As we know, it proved very costly. And I would say even the people that were on the right side of this argument for decades and decades suffering the consequences of being right about this wondered, did we make the right decision here? At this vantage point in history, we can all look back and say they made the right call for sure. I pray that a hundred years from now people would say the same about the unborn. Has the struggle for civil rights stopped since 1865, since the Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation? At least we can all agree, no. The church has a responsibility with the life we've been given. So I want to reissue something from what James says here. It says, pure and undefiled religion is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
I believe this is the outcry for freedom in our day. Here's what's easy to do with this, that if you looked around the church, typically the church in America today, and you looked at how some people act and how others act, you would think that James said something like this, religion that is pure and undefiled before the Lord is to either visit orphans and widows in their affliction or to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, let me just, for the sake of understanding, put a few extremes out here. And most people don't fall into stereotypes or extremes, but it's helpful for understanding that so many people that bear the name of Christ will, let's call them liberals, okay? You go for one side of things, and we pride ourselves on on visiting orphans and widows and caring for the people that are vulnerable and in need, and yet so often celebrate kind of the stains of the world. And you have another extreme, call them conservatives, and obviously I pray that if you consider yourself conservative that you don't fall into this, but so many do. That there's almost a a pride of of abstaining from the stains of the world. Abstain. You pride yourself on this false gospel of abstaining. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do that. Problem is, is we're also abstaining from visiting orphans and widows so often. But religion that is pure and undefiled is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and, and abstain from the stains of the world. Now, don't miss the implication of the word visit. It doesn't say here, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to be kind to the orphans and widows in your midst. It would be a little easier if it said that, right? Like, hey, they're in your midst. It says this operative word, visit. Meaning, we've always been called to go out of our way. Where are the orphans? Where are the vulnerable ones? Where are the the people that are suffering affliction? I have to go out of my way and inconvenience myself to find them. I believe that the orphans and widows in our day, the people that James speaks of that are, are somewhat defenseless, that don't have their own voice, the orphans, I believe, are those yet to experience the right to life, unborn children. And I believe widows that in our modern economy that, that uh, so often struggle to provide for themselves, that are left vulnerable. I believe, I believe they're scared, pregnant mothers who we need to find, we need to visit, we need to support at a great cost to our convenience and our economy. That's pure and undefiled. We have, uh, we have families in this church that are considering adoption. My wife and I have always grieved and wept over the 1.5 million babies every year that die before getting to have an opinion, before getting to sit in a church and listen to opinions, whether they agree or not. We've always wept over that, and yet we've seen uh, 
in the Bible where, where Jesus adopts us and we say, well, for us to be doers of the life that we've been given, we can adopt a child. It's always been in our plan and our desire. And three years ago, we had the opportunity to visit a nameless child. His name was, legal name was Baby Boy Smith. When we met him and we didn't know if he was going to make it. And right there in the NICU, we got a chance to adopt him. And I can tell you what, when the judge slammed his gavel down six months later and decreed this child, I say henceforth, is no longer baby boy Smith, but from now on, Asa Peter Dusan. I can't tell you the, the, the gravity in that room when I heard that. But the judge felt it, and she began to weep. I dream that a disproportionate many precious families in our church would choose to adopt. Now, in one sense, if the peace of God's not on you, if you don't have a word from God, don't feel obligated. But in essence, I also feel like there kind of is a word from God. So in some ways, you, you would need a word of, from God to not make sacrifices that are uncomfortable to, to your convenience and to your budget, right? And in so many different ways, we're all commanded to visit, to, to be champions of adoption if we don't adopt and, and foster. Now, how do we support young mothers? How do we listen to their cry? Again, it costs money. We've been, for the last year and a half, we've done Embrace Grace, which supports and upholds mothers uh, that are, unex- they didn't, they're expecting and unexpectedly expecting. And we've seen life already happen in seed form, and we're wanting much more of that. If you're wanting to partake in that by visiting the orphans and widows of our day, we want to dream with you. But before we dismiss, I want us all to remember that we were all dead. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, among whom we once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. He's brought us to life. We were dead. We were discarded. And the difference between us and the unborn is it was completely our fault. Verified, our, our fallenness was verified by our actions, by our doings. And yet it's what Christ did. If you know Jesus and you even hear his word, and if you, you're, if you even hear anything that I'm saying, it's because he's made you alive. My prayer is that we would respond and invest back in that with sacrifice and power that only God can give. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to do one last song before we dismiss. I'm going to ask that you consider the word of God 
that no matter what you came into this, if you came into this discussion, maybe you agreed with everything I said, which would be rare. I often don't agree with everything I say. Maybe you don't. But you're here, you're alive, you're precious before God. And I'm asking that you would pray for healing. Maybe you're someone who needs healing in this. I'm not going to have a prayer team come up. I want you to stay right where you are and do business with God. Maybe you're someone who needs healing, and maybe you're just someone who needs to get on your face and pray for healing in our nation. Pray for healing in, in, in someone you know. Pray for the cause of life and rights that, that God's paid for. And you know what? Tomorrow, many of us have a day off. I challenge all of us to be doers. Go serve someone who is vulnerable. That's what this holiday was made for. When Reagan signed this day into a national holiday three decades ago, it was so that we could be doers of the word of God like MLK. Think of someone vulnerable in your life. Pray right now that God would heal the brokenhearted. Heal those who, who have uh, hurt others, hurt, killed babies. Statistics show that there's someone here that need healing from that. Do business with God. He knows you. He loves you. He's the only one who can redeem, forgive, restore you, make you love what he loves. Let's do business with him and I'll come back up and close.